HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Did you know that oat milk uses a lot less water, less land, and creates far less greenhouse gases than cow's milk? This useful fact is brought to you by Oatly, the vegan oat milk originally from Sweden that's now available in the U.S. You can find out more useful facts than you'd ever want to know about oat milk at Oatly.com. That's O-A-T-L-Y dot com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Hugh Thomas, co-founder and CEO of Ugly Drinks. You've probably seen them. They're those like bright blue, groovy, retro-looking cans um, filled with delicious, sugar-free, fruit-flavored sparkling water. Um, After a successful launch in the UK, Ugly is now stocked in six European countries, correct me if I'm wrong, and nearly 10,000 stores. Yeah, I think in total now, yeah. It's a lot. It's pretty crazy. Um, in May 2018, Hugh and Ugly both made the leap across the pond and are now <laughs> launched and living here uh, in the U.S. Um, so you're going to see lots more Ugly around if you haven't seen it. Um, Hugh, I'm really glad you're here. I was thinking about it. I think you might be my first Brit. Well, it's a privilege. Thanks for having yes, me. Yes, you yeah, are going to represent your your. It's not a fake accent, this is the real deal. (laughs) (laughs) He's actually from New Jersey. Yes, no, I've been practicing this. Um, And the word on the street is also, I like it when I hear like how like good people are also you have a nice reputation as a very nice person also that's so, nice to hear those yes. people probably don't know me well enough but. exactly <laughs> yeah they, they haven't really gotten to know you um <laughs> so um tell me a little bit you know about how you grew up were you entrepreneurial were you a big food and bev guy did you know what you wanted to be what was it's- your story. Yeah, it's a good question. So I'm from a place called Worcester in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you guys spelled. say Worcester or something yeah, like that here. Spelled, but right. Yeah, so um, that's where all the Worcestershire sauce is made globally. Oh. Um, that's the main reason it's famous, but it's a small <laughs> small town in the middle of England. It's cool. Um, my mum and dad have had the same job since all my life. So my dad is a, is a lawyer in the, in the town. Um, Works for every single type of business there. Wow, he's <laughs> the general lawyer. Yeah, whether right? it's the Curry House or the sports teams. Right. Or, yeah, his his firm works with them. And then my mom is a nurse, so um, yes. I guess I grew up in a very yeah stable household. Right. Um, Are you an only, or do you have siblings? No, I have my, my, my sister as well. Who okay. uh, yeah, she lives in Canada, so we've both flown the nest, so yeah. to speak. But um, yeah, no, I guess I grew up in a yeah small village in in the UK. Um, wasn't really around many entrepreneurs uh, right. at that point in my life, and. I think I've just been hardwired to have that um, gene, and I, th- I think having parents who have very stable, stable um, income, stable jobs, right. I guess, gave me the privilege to be able to be more risky. Do um, you remember when you were nine or ten, like what you were like and what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, I've I've always been very driven. So um, I think in my last day of um, what do you guys call it, elementary school, yep. I think I said I was going to be prime minister. Ah, um, haven't fulfilled that yet. There's, There's time. time. I don't even know if I want it that looks poison like chalice. You but... could probably win right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> yeah, there's some ugly truths there for sure. But um, 
Yeah, so always been very ambitious, and I think uh, about the age of um, 11 or 12, read Richard Branson's autobiography. Yes, um, that seems to have motivated a lot of people. Yeah, certainly in the UK, um, he he's just, I know he struggled with dyslexia when he was growing up, yep. um, and I remember my cousin, I think, had the same uh, challenge and mm-hmm. wrote him a letter, and I always remember that he wrote back. Oh. Um, so this is when I was very young. So I read the book and obviously very inspiring because of just the way he does stuff, challenges the status quo. Yep. Um, and that's very inspirational when you read read a story like that and you see the twists and turns. And um, yeah, I wasn't able to really put a, a word on entrepreneur, uh, being right. an entrepreneur. Yeah. You don't really become one. It's not like a job you apply for. Right. Um, but I think it was just naturally wider me. And then you start doing school projects and there's something in the UK called Young Enterprise, which is this a small business competition for like 15, 16 year olds. Yeah. Um, which I did uh, with a friend and a team of people at the detriment of my school grades that year. Right. But we were hustling, making money. What was the um, business? We did all sorts of things. We were selling uh, like personal, like person- this is a long time ago, yeah. right? So we did personalized clocks uh, we- and you could kind of customize the imagery on the clock yeah. through a website. That okay, we so this is the thing. Like most people that I meet that have started businesses either were like taking things from their parents and selling them at school or like buying something for 25 cents and like trying to make a market at school or like, it's funny you say that because with the same guy I ran that project with, we actually started um, hustling at car boot sales and we, we were buying and selling stuff, selling it on eBay. Um, yeah, I think my mum and dad's dial-up uh, right. <laughs> dial-up internet fees well, were expensive that it's, year. It's you know, it's funny too because I have a few kids like that, and you know, now that I am a, you know a business owner, I'll say, by the way, are you going to pay me back for the raw materials <laughs> yes. for said cookies and the chocolate chips and also the tablecloth rental? And yeah, you know. I think there's a tab I'm still running up. Yeah, but, um, probably. Yeah, no, I, I and I, I still think they were like the early stages of being um, inspired in that way. Right. Um, but I think I, lo- I always love the idea of kind of creating brands and products. Yes. Um, and I think that became quite clear to me at, the, at that age. Yep. Um, yeah. And then always wanted to, I've always loved the idea of uh, like Richard Branson being beyond, going beyond the UK. And so that, mm-hmm. I think those ideas come quite early. And I know my co-founder Joe was very similar, even yeah. though we didn't grow up together. Well, um, I was going to say in, I mean, I know this isn't exactly what you meant, but I think coming to the US you're doing that early in the life cycle of yeah. your business, which we can get into. But I do think, yeah, I didn't know that you had just, you know, you haven't, you haven't been around all that long. So it's a, it's a big Yeah, thing. it's right. We're, yeah, we're, I, I think in terms of peers from the UK that have done what we're doing at this stage, there's not right. many, um, no. certainly in CPG and yeah. products. Um, so go yeah. back for a second because yes. I know, like, I know that you have to basically decide what you want to do for college when you're like eight in yeah. the UK. You have to specialize or whatever. Can you specialize in business at, yeah. at, for high school? And so uh, is that? Yeah, high school. I guess I took ex- grades and subjects that were more business related. Right. Um, and then college. And then, and then college, I studied business. Yeah, but um, yeah, and I think that was great because I got quite a well-rounded. I guess study through that. So right. like basics of economic, I mean, it sounds super nerdy, but basics of economics and right. that side of, of business, but, um, always really love the consumer product bit yep. and the, um, the brand creation part. Um, even just naturally I've always, I've always got that. I think there's a note po- notebook in my house at home that has some ideas I came up with when I was 15, 16. Right. And honestly, I could launch some of them today. I think. Yeah, probably um, knowing what I knowing what I know. Some are a bit of far fetched, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's weird looking back at it. That wasn't a conscious thing. That were just right. things that I did. And um, yeah, just, I, I decided to go to college and, and also get jobs in my career because right. I think I realized quite early that running a company is not easy. And right. certainly FMCG or consumer products, it's... Um, is FMCG the UK yes, acronym sorry. for consumer I should packaged translate. goods? Fast-moving consumer goods, yeah. Fast-moving consumer goods, got it. So okay. I'm sorry, I have to translate on this a bit No, sometimes. no, not only that, but I mean, I try to use as few acronyms as possible <laughs> so that I don't sound like, you know... <laughs> I should stop ...a that. jerk. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I do that. Yeah, uh, no, um, no, we all do, I mean, you know. But yeah, I think I realized, oh, cool, I've got to learn, I've got to learn, and also just coming from, um, yeah in the Midlands, like yeah. small village, yeah. going to college. I've met a lot of people who are still friends, other entrepreneurs, people who've kind of helped build my network over time. Yeah. And yeah, so great experience, learned a lot. And um, 
Yeah. That's and then cool. landed at Heinz. Yeah, that was my first job. So right. I, whilst I was at college, I was a student brand manager to so speak for vitamin water. Oh, um, really? Oh, I didn't realize so, that. So yeah, okay. I was the guy with all the all the drinks in his apartment. Um, so you were student brand manager. So what did you do? You you just you had out. stacks and stacks of drinks in my apartment. Uh, was tasked with getting rid of them all and giving them to cool people, essentially. Wow. So, so um, how did you did you see that on you know? a job post somewhere? Or I can't remember. It... I think I might have even approached the brand at the time. I think right. this, was, this was when it was hot, I guess. Um, yeah. Not that it's, it isn't anymore, but it right. was really at its peak probably. Yeah. Um, That's so cool. And, and so uh, in college yeah. you had like cases of Vitacoco and then your job was to get it into the hands of people that could be influential. Yeah, there were cases of cases of drinks. I think we built a, a sofa or <laughs> a sofa out of the stuff. <laughs> oh, and, that's um, awesome. Yeah, and... and um, that was the start of it, and there's just one of the things I've always loved about beverage in particular is, just, yeah. is the personalities of the yes. brands and yeah. the, the way that you can play in lots of spaces. So we would do sports events, yep. music, yeah. parties, just general going into the university library and people are studying and giving everyone drinks. Yeah, no, And that, I think that's when the idea about the kind of beverage was seeded for me yep. and just going, well, this can play in a lot of parts of life. And um, then how – and then you went to Heinz. Yeah, so um, – Heinz offered me a job whilst I was still at college um, and the opportunity to work on, I guess, uh, Heinz Beans, less popular here. No, but they're very popular. The house, I know them. Household yeah. brand in the UK. The Beans. Yeah, the yeah. Beans and the Blue Can and then also opportunity to work on Heinz Ketchup, which right. is popular that's, here. I mean, <laughs> it's everywhere. maybe the most famous consumer packaged yeah. good or FMCG Exactly. Ever, and, right? and the opportunity to work on those two brands and kind of learn from a great um, CPG company was really exciting and... Um, what do you feel like was the sort of the big takeaway from that experience? I think, um, I guess, I guess the big, the big thing that I was frustrated with on day one was yeah. the formality and structure. Yes. But then when I look back now running my own startup, yeah. I kind of crave, crave it all back in many ways. Um, yeah. and I've worked at a startup in between, so I've kind of done all three parts of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I learned a huge amount about, um, Discipline when it comes to branding in particular. Yep. Um, I wasn't, as brand manager of these brands, you're not really allowed to change much. And yep. there's a reason. Yes. Um, but also I think um, Heinz is an old company. I think it's founded in 1869. Uh, one, of the, one of the older CPG companies like Coca-Cola. I know Guinness is older, but mm -hmm. um, one of the older ones, I know Henry Heinz who started it was one of the first people to put products in transparent packaging. Yes. So he was disruptive. He was quite disruptive. Disruptive back, yep. in, back a long time ago. Um, and then even the Heinz Beans can, which is turquoise, yeah. um, is counterintuitive to most packaging on shelves. Yes. But then when you start looking through the brand guideline documents and you, you just, you understand how these things have been crafted. It's not, it doesn't happen overnight. Right. Um, and when you say discipline, do you mean like the first thing that occurred to me when you said discipline around messaging was mm -hmm. don't try to say too many things in too many ways, like really try to hone in on what you're trying to say and, and pick a message. Is that what you mean by discipline? Yeah, I think, I think it's a combination of the messaging, as, yeah. you, as you say, and kind of knowing what you stand for and then repeating that message over time. Mm -hmm. um, and Heinz, Heinz has great family values, um, product quality at the heart of what it does. Um, but also in terms of design. Um, yep. And I remember working on a project um, which is about the color blue. Um, and it's weird how my life goes in full circle. You have a circle. great blue on your can. Yeah. <laughs> we do now. And uh, I remember they had different packaging with different blues on. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, when you print on paper versus metal versus yep. plastic, it, it changes. Um, and obviously, if you let that drift, the, you, it's harder to then say, well, that's our blue. Right. Like, that's our red. That's our purple. Yep. It's much harder when you have three blues yes. on different packaging. So one of my jobs when it first started was to get the blues consistent. Right. And I think that was a good learning for me in going, okay, th these things don't just happen. Yeah. Heinz Beans doesn't just happen. Coca-Cola doesn't just happen. Yes. There's layers and layers of work and... Deliberate keeping, choices and... Yeah, pulling yeah. it back in. And yep. I think with Ugly now, because we're now stretched internationally, that, that those lessons of kind of keeping to a few very simple things. Yes. What they say, beautiful constraints or something like that. So like when you it. when you work with agencies or photographers or other designers, actually giving them quite tight guidelines yep. um, gives them a lot of freedom. Awesome. Um, yeah. So that, I think that was a that was a lesson there. But I did actually start my first day of work there with a beard, um, and then on the second day there was a razor blade and shaving foam anonymously left on my desk. Really. So I uh, I think that okay, young man. It only took me twenty four hours to realize I didn't mm. want to work at work for anyone else. Really. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it took me a few more years to escape, but um, 
yeah, that was, I mean, it was a great experience. I'm still in contact with a lot of people right. I work with. And there. I mean, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, getting that kind of brand management experience is, is really helpful when you're, you know, setting off to do it by yourself. You, I think you're just saving yourself some time figuring out stuff. Yeah, you know? I grew up a lot in that right. in that period. Um, and you were also young. Yeah, I was young. I was twenty one. Yeah. And understanding how calendars work, and right. you don't turn up late to meetings, yeah. or that's a good lesson. Replying to emails and yes. how that works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just the other thing that Heinz was great at was being focused on um, numbers and business yes. um, mm-hmm. and selling. And so, as a, I'm a marketeer, and obviously have a passion for brands, but understanding the, the economics, and I, there was a big. Kind of, yep. it was a team effort, and marketing sat with the other departments, and they were working together to achieve yep. things. And uh-huh. I think having that at the core of what you do is also important because, yes, um, as a marketeer, I think, and they had a lot of people switching between departments. Yeah, no, I think I'm, we're going to touch on that too because I, there's like this weird sort of um, I don't know misperception of tension almost between sales and, and operations that yeah. I always ne- I don't really understand because. They have to be completely synergized in order for the whole thing to work. Yep. Um, but we'll get, we'll get, yes, I can talk about that for a while. (laughs) Yes. I want to hear you talk about it. Um, then you went back to Vita. Uh, uh, yeah. So joined Vitacoco and went in with its UK, uh, business just launched. Um, oh, and that's when you were the student brand manager. Student brand manager for vitamin water. Uh, Oh, got it. Okay. Colorful bottles. Um, uh, and then Vitacoco, yeah, easy, easily mixed up. No, similar I got people, it. similar people right. at both those companies. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I when I was at Heinz, had started subscribing to Trends newsletters and things like that, and you see that coconut water was exploding over yep. here. Um, I just and then I just bought the product, tasted it. I was like, this is crazy. I've yeah. got to get involved. Um, and yeah, I was one of the first employees there. And um, what did you, I mean, I, I read an, I read an interview. <laughs> so you were doing all the demos delivery. You handled all of the Instagram at some point, right? Yeah. This is like, when Instagram just started. So, yeah. um, I think created the profiles, you know, for that, for the, the whole, this was the European market yes. and it was run like a startup. So it wasn't yeah. a corporate outpost. This right. was, uh, us grassroots, but yeah, I mean, the team was small. We had to do everything. That's amazing. Nobody had tried coconut water at that, that point, really. And um, so you really got an understanding of the sales and the marketing Yeah, so piece. the week before, I'd been sat in uh, presenting PowerPoint slides to people at Heinz. Uh-huh. And then the next week, it's, we need a van. Buy a van. <laughs> do you know, drive the van. Put a palm tree on yeah, it. Crash and the like, van. Yeah, right, exactly. All of it. Um, but my, yeah, and my co-founder Joe was already there, so he was there in the door even earlier, straight mm. out of college. Um, and it, yeah, it was just a very special time to be joining a business so cool. like that. And yeah, very lucky to have had that opportunity. And you were there for four years. Yeah. And in that four years, you grew to a, a you know presumably yeah. a more senior role. And yeah, you kind of rise with the yeah. rise with the the tide, so to speak. Which and Joe and I were both lucky enough to do that. Um, people join the team right uh you learn by doing in the deep end you know um, and then the two of you guys decided to go do your own thing yeah we uh we became best friends during mm-hmm. i mean you spend so much time together i'd gone from kind of clocking off at the end of the day five o'clock and not thinking about work at all to right. spending every waking minute thinking yes. about it and working and hanging out with the team yeah we were even hanging out at weekends yeah and then Joe and I started finding ourselves in Whole Foods looking at shelves at the weekend when we should have probably been in the pub. Right. Um, yeah, and I don't think we ever really discussed starting a business. Um, it was just always going to happen. I think when you work somewhere like that, yep. with that energy, yep. you can't then go and get a corporate job. No. And the business grew quite a lot. So it was less than a million pounds revenue when we joined, and it was almost doing 50 million oh, when we wow. left. Um, oh, wow. So the team grew from like less, right. less than 10 people to... Nearly 50, 60. Right. In that so it time. actually got more corporate as you were there. Yeah, right? it got more, co- more, not that it's a corporate environment, no. but more corporate than right. uh, it was when we were there. And yeah, m- people who know what they're doing come in. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, but I think we'd learned a lot and done our, done our bit and made a huge impact, hopefully, on that business. Um, and actually, Joe and I came on vacation to New York. Um, I think the first time we came was. Hurricane Sandy. Oh, wow. So we literally, I think we got the last flight into New York before it arrived. (laughs) So we had quite a weird experience where we're out actually near where we are now, kind of hunkered down. Yeah. (laughs) So we spent a lot of time in grocery stores that week too, because there's not much else going on. Um, But uh, yeah, just 
the this city always had a massive energy for both of us. Yeah. Vitacoco is from here. Yeah. Um, Mike was on the show. Oh, he was? Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. I think the way he ran that business and the brand that he's built and the yes. way the team worked, it was like a, being part of a sports team. Yes. Um, and that's just infectious. Yes. So you have, you have that sort of role model and team yep. to look up to. And then I think the way brands are built in this country is amazing. Yeah. Um, so we're privileged to learn from the way the UK does things, which I think it has some advantages and then the way you guys do things over here. So, and would you say that there's a little bit more of like an entrepreneurial sort of hustle spirit on this side of the pond? Is oh, that yeah. what you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, this, this country is built on that spirit, yeah. I think. And it's, I mean, it's in everybody you meet in New York, yeah. certainly. Um, and I think, uh, I think it just runs through this, that whole yeah. organization was built on that hustle. Yeah. We do move at a weird <laughs> clip. Yes, um, get used okay. to it. <laughs> so was it always going to be beverage? Was it always like, was there always, was there, was there an idea before a product or was there a product that represented values or like, how did, you know, did yeah, you it's, guys, it's how good, did it? It's a yeah. good question. And it wasn't, I mean, I love to say it was a really scientific process, but it was, um, initially Joe and I, um, hanging out here and going, okay, maybe this is the guy I start a business with. Yeah. Cause I always wanted to do it, but having company through that process is felt to be the right decision and it has been the right decision yes um, when it works it's great. when it works um which it doesn't always but we've gone through a lot together yeah um and i think we actually went to japan um again on kind of vacation but we also spent some time with the vitacoco japan team mm-hmm. and we were on market tours there and we saw fridges of of drinks and i don't know if you've been to japan but it's i mean it's almost like everything's been looked at from scratch in many yeah. ways so they had a a fridge of drinks that were all warm. I guess uh-huh. it's a fridge or a heater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so all the cans of coffee were warm to touch, so you could pick up a warm can of coffee. Oh, interesting. Which you don't see in no. the UK or the US. No. Um, and then alongside that, there was a fridge of drinks that were totally sugar-free. Right. Um, tea, mainly teas and products like that. Right. Uh, and I think at the time, Joe and I thought, well, if you want iced tea in the UK, which is a massive tea-loving country, yeah. they're all sweetened. Right. Um, isn't that strange? And then when it, we actually started thinking about it. It's like, well, actually, what drinks aren't sweetened? Uh-huh. And that's kind of where the thought process started. And my mum's actually a nurse who specialises in diabetes. Mm-hmm. And Joe's sister works for a diabetic charity. So we'd, we'd kind of been starting to learn, I guess, vicariously about the impact of sugar in right. beverage um, and how it impacts your body. Right. Um, but I think we both... Joe comes from Bristol in the UK and I'm from Worcester. So I think we both learned that people in outside of London, outside of New York, right. Los Angeles, um, are kind of don't have necessarily the same access to healthy products. Yeah. And so what we, what we, what we thought we wanted to do and what we set out to do is create a brand that was healthy uh, and accessible. So right. in the way it was priced and the way it was branded and the way it spoke to people. Um, so as much as I love coconut water and cold pressed green juices right. and all these products, it's at the not end of the day, making yeah. it to the average person. Exactly. In if you're a family right. of four in the UK and yeah, you, you're cash strapped, then picking yeah. up a bottle of Coca-Cola for a, a couple of quid, a couple of pounds, yeah. is, I mean, it's it keeps everyone happy in the household, and, and that's they, the real challenge that people face. They call it like I'm sure you know what it's it's called like the something moment. It's like that, like pull the little tab back, and like it goes like. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's addictive. Right. Um, and people relate sugar to, like, yeah, I mean, even you have soda when you're a young kid right. at birthday parties and that yeah. taste takes you back. Um, so your goal was to kind of recreate that moment in a better for you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and do it in a way that was um, kind of challenged the status quo was for everyone. And so we had this rough idea. Um, right. And then what was the first step? I mean, how did you... What was, you know, you quit your jobs and then you like yeah, meet we, on Monday morning. And <laughs> we actually worked on it uh, whilst we were doing our jobs for about a year. Right. Okay. Um, before and after work um, in my apartment. Kind of, I mean, we, this is when we're 23, 24. So right. we didn't oh really know gosh. what we were doing. You um, still, you're so young. So, yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> I don't feel it. But um, yeah, so we're just kind of working out how do you make a drink? How do you start a company? How do you flavor how some do you seltzer? Flavor some, yeah, is, yeah. What is, how do you create a brand? Yeah. We have no money. Right. Um, where do you get money from? Cool. Uh, all the questions everything. that all of our listeners are asking, right? So we, we started there, and I think, um, yeah, can, the, guess the that's how you learn, is, and you're judged on how quickly you can learn those things, I guess. Right. Um, 
So how, how would you start? I mean, Google is a great resource, yeah. right? So there's some answers there. Yeah. Um, but really asking people who've been there and done it is the, is the way that we got those introductions and you start networking, you start yep. joining the dots. We always talk about it as joining the dots. Yeah. Uh, I think we're quite, we've always known where we want to get to, which helps because then I think yep. you're you have to just out. reverse engineer. You're reverse yeah. engineering it. But um, we didn't know what the dots were and I'm sat here talking to you in New York and we, we make drinks here, we sell drinks here. Right. I didn't know how to do that right. even a year, a year or two ago. Yeah. Um, but asking people who've been there and done it, always being nice to people. And then if you talk to someone who doesn't know, you ask them if they know anyone who does, which is the key question. Did you run into the same problem that we, I think the majority of founders that reach out to me have the same problem. And the problem is a volume for a co-packer situation yeah. where they just cannot flex down to meet a demand of a small startup, even if they think the product is really good. And Production is just like, it gets harder. There's that gap between like what you can make in the incubator kitchen and then going to a big co-packer. Is totally. it a I similar mean, system? Yeah, we've had, we've had the same uh, challenge in both countries. And I think, I mean, even, we even learned some small little hacks that might help people listening. But, yeah. um, even the difference between me emailing from Hugh, whatever it is at gmail.com yeah. and Hugh at companyx.com. Right. Well, I got much more feedback, <laughs> feedback yeah. because people are like, oh, it's a company versus oh, it's right. some random guy on email. But yep. you can create a domain and get a company email set up for pretty quickly in like 20 minutes yeah. for less than five bucks, right? Yes. Um, so point, number point number one, have a company email yeah, that, I mean, that at me.com. Yeah, right? I mean, exactly. It made a big difference. But um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're now working with factories that didn't talk to us at the beginning, right. which is kind of cool. Because of the volume Because increase? we're growing volume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've learned the hard way. We've worked with co-packers that have let us down. We've uh, struggled with volume sometimes. Yep. We've um, taken risks. Um, it's not easy. And certainly with can production, it's actually the can size of volumes that you have to order that, that yeah. mean that direct the volume. Um, but yeah, there's, I think there's actually more and more solutions appearing for smaller yes. volumes than five years ago when well, we I were looking at this. People are starting to see a white space. As there is they a call white space. It. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with Hugh from Ugly. In the Sauce is brought to you by Oatly, the vegan plant-based oat milk originally from Sweden that's now making their oat milk on this side of the Atlantic. About 30 years ago, in a small town in Sweden, a scientist invented oat milk, and everyone thought he was totally crazy. But remember, back then, vegans were weirdos on the fringes of society. Unlike today, when vegans are everywhere and include some of the world's most famous weirdos and non-weirdos on Earth. Actually, it is true that today more and more people in the U.S. and around the world are starting to understand the benefits of eating and drinking plants so their bodies feel good and the planet can cope better with the impact we humans place on it. So here's a sort of deep question. If 30 years ago people thought oat milk was a ridiculous idea, imagine how different people's beliefs about food could be in 30 years from now. Are we going to be looking back on our barbaric meat-eating ancestors of the early 2000s? Anyway, since this is an ad for Oatly, I should mention that one easy way to go more plant-based is just to switch from cow's milk to oat milk. It tastes really great, it foams really well, and you can just ask the baristas at Haven's Kitchen how popular it is. To find out more than you'd ever want to know about oat milk, go to Oatly.com. That's O-A-T-L-Y.com. Or look for Oatly on Instagram, at O-A-T-L-Y. I'm back with Hugh Thomas, co-founder of Ugly Drinks. So you had to find a co-packer, you had to find the money, you had to figure out if it tasted good, yep. and you probably had the brand vibe, my guess is figured out a little bit on the earlier side, because yeah, that's th what you were thinking about. Yeah, I think the attitude was always there that we wanted to rebel, and, and the, brand, the brand name... Uh, once yeah. we once we'd stumbled across the word ugly and yeah. what it meant to us, it was there's no going back at that point because we both really believe this this really had to make you feel something and that word does even when you just hear it for the first time yeah. um, and that felt special to us. Speaking of the brand, I mean, I definitely I think why I love consumer packaged goods <clears throat> so much. I was always a brand gal, you know. 
a Barbie to me was different than like a like you know Barbara or whatever. <laughs> like I just yeah. I had you know I still feel viscerally, and I believe that people you know private label even private label they're creating their own brands right mm -hmm. um but i think that there's something about that can the font is just rad it definitely has a little bit of like a british like i think of mick jagger yeah for maybe the tongue my mom's favorite yeah. i don't know like there's something i definitely feel cool holding the can. Oh, I appreciate which, you saying that. I know. I mean, which, which is exactly what you're going for. Like you have an opportunity to make someone feel something because I mean, someone has, it's, it's not an original thought, but people say all the times like feelings like make brands, not data. You yeah. can have all the best data in the world and you can have all the best market research and 18 people in a room, you know, making a decision. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't trigger a feeling, it's not going to work. And so what is the feeling that you were, I mean, there's rebellious in there, but yeah. like, what is that feeling that you're trying to get to? And it's a, it's a great point. And again, the feeling can't be copied. So yes. you can have hundreds of competitors, but they can't copy that. Yeah. Um, which, so we knew that, but I think yeah. ugly was born out of a frustration and that rebellious attitude, which might be uniquely British in some sense that there's that, sub, there's a lot of subversive music, yeah. um, street artists like Banksy, yeah. um, and that was definitely in there for, for Joe and I coming up with this. But I think we we felt like our generation, maybe a slightly younger generation too, was frustrated with the way um, society was shifting. Um, certainly in the UK, we had Brexit happening around when we were coming up with this name. <laughs> Still. And over here, you were changing <laughs> changing presidents. Um, yeah. And the idea of kind of fake news and alternative facts and these concepts in both countries. Yeah. Um, and we felt that was kind of similar in many ways to uh, what was happening in, in CPG and in that you had these old brands that had been around for hundreds of years saying one thing on the marketing. And then when you actually turn the pack around, you realize you're having... 40 grams of sugar. But even the new ones, like I think one of the reasons why I love, like I love this brand so much is that it's basically, you're not saying we're going to make you look younger mm -hmm. and we're going to make you float in the sky and functional this and, yep. you know, adaptogenic that. And, you know, you might add whatever you might yeah. add later on. I'm not going to, you know, take away from that. But I think everyone... You go to Expo West and everyone's falling over themselves to basically promise you all these functional benefits of things that, by the way, have no actual scientific basis at all, yeah. right? And yours is just this simple thing. It's great. It's a, it tastes good. It's better for you. It's less expensive. It's no sugar. That's it. I mean, that's it. Sodas, sodas consumed so widely in this country, so widely in the UK. Yeah. Um, we're talking like insane volume versus adaptogens and things like that. Right. Um, yeah. And for us, we always wanted to make something. I mean, again, even when you look at the design, it's not pretentious. It's for no, everyone. And it's very fun. It should be, I mean, it's less, less should be less than a, a buck a can. Right. Um, if you're drinking eight cans of, of diet soda or full sugar soda a day, this is an easy switch. Yeah, and there's lots of people doing that. Yeah, that's so um, scary. So that's, that's what we, that's kind of the feeling we tried to can up. And um, again, when you look at the team we've built as well, it's a, it's a group of people who are young and, feel that attitude right. um, and I think we're just at the beginning of how rebellious we can be and how much hopefully change we can make as well in in the way we do things so going back to you know you needed mm. a co-packer you needed <laughs> how did you like how, how did you did you do any research on flavors did you have five and then send them out to friends or did you do you know how did you yeah, hone in on what you wanted we, we actually started with a with a, actually a still concept so like uncarbonated oh interesting uh, for flavored water and we had more kind of um you know i guess the, we started seeing those um brand, like in nice cafes in london people putting like sliced up lemon and ginger yep. and, and cucumber and we developed a range of those and I think what we realized is that if you want to solve the problem we set out to solve, you've got to create flavors that are popular and that everybody wants. Yes. And um, we started sampling people with that drink and everybody was saying, when can you do a carbonated version? Right. Um, and I think we realized that there's just something about, as, as you said earlier in, the in this, there's this noise when you open the can. Yep. There's the feeling of the can. It's a treat. The cans get cold quickly. Yeah. Um, 
that we just needed to recreate and we wanted to create flavors that were fun. Uh, I think at one point we said we only want to create flavors that you can make into inflatable pool floats or you'd see in a pool party. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we're still following that philosophy, but... No, but they're happy flavors. Happy flavors, yeah. you know, like a slice of watermelon, a pineapple. Right. Um, you know, and that was kind of where the idea came from, that this should be fun. And right. you shouldn't be going, oh, I, don't, I can't drink my soda. Right. I'm going to have to have this, right. you know, like... Yes. It should be fun. You should go, oh, quick, watermelon, sparkling water that tastes amazing. Then it's an easy switch for me to cut all that sugar and yeah. the bad stuff. And then, I mean, you guys made a very clear decision. You started off selling only direct. In this in this country, yeah. yeah. Um, in the UK, um, we did as well. And we've been available online in every zip code or postcode yeah. in I both mean, markets. From the I beginning. think that's something that I'd like you to talk about because mm-hmm. a lot of the DMs and emails I get also from founders listening to this is, you know, I think there was a moment where everyone was like, you know, screw the grocery store buyer, that's going out, you know, everything's going to be direct to consumer. And I think people are definitely coming to terms with the fact that that is indeed not the case. Mm -hmm. And that the costs of that are skyrocketing compared Mm -hmm. to what they were a few years ago. So everyone's trying to figure out what the right balance for their brand is between distribution through stores and selling directly. Um, and so how did you approach that? I mean, I, I, my, from what I understand, you wanted to get it out to as many people as possible, as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And you have something that has a shelf life and can be shipped ambient, mm-hmm. right? So waiting to get into an account just maybe was too much time and you just wanted to like get it into people's hands. Yeah. Is that yeah, part it's, of it? I, it's, you've summarized it really well in the, the, that shift and that balance. But I think, um, Again, we, we're very aware that people are going to be thirsty when they're thirsty. Right. So it's not always going to be at home and it's not always going to be direct. And right. people are still going to walk down the street and go, oh, I'm dying for a drink here. Right. Um, so we knew that we needed the right blend. And if you want a brand to be omnipresent, then you need to be seen when someone's walking to work, when they go into the office, when they, when they get on the subway or tube home. And then maybe they want to get it delivered because they drink it at home as well. Right. So we always had that mentality internally. And um, I think being digitally native as founders and as a brand, mm-hmm. um, we recognize that the way, if you get written about in a newspaper yeah. today, if you're... We ri- ha- this drives me crazy. Yeah. There's no call to action for us. There's no go to havenskitchen.com and get your sauce. Right. It drives and, me nuts. And uh, we knew that, I mean, if I get written about today in the London news doesn't mean it doesn't appear on in New York. Yeah. It doesn't mean it doesn't appear in Wales or Liverpool yeah. or Manchester. Um, and so we wanted to get the word out there. And yeah. so we set up the direct consume business from day one. What um, are, I mean, for people setting up those businesses who are listening to this, mm-hmm. what would you say are like the must-haves for that website? Yes. I'd say, um, I'd say the first thing is really understanding the unit economics. Um, right. I think the US and the UK are very different in this respect in that the countries are so big. So mm-hmm. um, shipping here is uh, certainly if you're Crazy shipping expensive. water or heavy products like your sources, I imagine. Yeah. Um, it's it's a lot more challenging, whereas in the UK, logistics are a lot more cost-effective um, just because the country's smaller, right. um, so it's more efficient. And so you can ship stuff small distance, and all that shipping is margin, essentially. Right. So I'd really say understand that. Um, can people buy a case at a time or do they have to buy like a 12 pack or did you figure that? Yeah. So we're still, we're still tweaking that. And again, the great thing about online is that you can change it day to day and test stuff day to day. Um, but I think there's lots of great brands out there now that you can replicate. When we first started doing a website, there were less. Uh Um, but if you look at the brands that have been successful direct to consumer, they keep it very simple. They have the messaging very clear. So people know what they're getting. And do you have any that you want to direct people to? Um, there's lots of good ones. I think uh, off the top of my head, n- native deodorant um, okay. is, I know, a, a, a kind of skincare deodorant product, but their site, when you when you navigate through it, you know what you're getting. Right. Very easy to navigate. And the checkout process is two or three steps. Yes. Um, which means it's very simple. Um, the email communication is great. So you, you get tracking for your product. You know where it is. You know when it's shipped. Yeah. Um, 
And I think you, when you experience a great experience like that, and there's others too I could mention. Um, yeah, as, I mean, you feel learn free to give lot. as many examples no, as you want. Even, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. Well, what I think people going on yours would probably find it fairly. Hope so. Yeah, we, you know. we still have kinks. We're working. I mean, we're working through things on a day to day basis. Right. Whereas, as you said, retail takes a little longer. Yes. So there's two mentalities in the business now, and I actually think the fast moving digital one impacts the way we think about retail as well now. Yep. Um, but you're quite right in saying that. Yeah, building a drinks company that's direct to consumer only is definitely challenging. Um, well, it's all challenging. It's all everything's challenging. Yeah. Um, but what's great is that in the first year we, sh- in the first year in the UK, we shipped to every major city. We had people in the north of Scotland buying cases and cases of it. And How did you reach them? Like, did you do S- like this SEO? Must have been social, yeah, it must have been social media, really, right. where the word got out that this was a great alternative to soda. Did we, you buy ads? Uh, yeah, we did buy some ads, but a very small amount in the first year. This is really the the growth would have been through influencers and right. um, I guess just word of mouth through their content. Um, this is very early on. And was there anything, you know, like, did, was there any kind of hacking to like type in soda and make yourself come up at least on like we, a, above the fold? Like, yeah, we've done some. We've done some stuff like that, and I think we'll do more of that and now. That's we're called SEO optimization. Or yeah, is that what that's yeah. Called? So okay. we've done we've done stuff like that, but even just going on Instagram and just direct messaging influencers yep. costs no money, and you it's just your time. You, I mean, I remember sitting there and. I don't know if Slimming World's something in this country. Slimming World? Slimming World. No. But it's, uh, it's I don't know, well, you have Weight Watchers here probably, yeah. same thing. Um, but I remember talking to a couple of influencers for Slimming World and, and telling them that this is a great alternative to soda. Right. Because even if you consume diet drinks, yeah. you still keep the sweet tooth and yeah. it's still hard to... And I remember people, word of mouth started getting around Slimming World. Right. Um, which isn't necessarily something... You kind of it's harder to market to, but then when you can give people codes and yeah. they can go direct, direct from their Instagram to your website, we actually yeah. started seeing a lot of traffic from there, and you'd see people ordering cases and cases and, and messaging us saying, "So much fun! I've stopped drinking soda. Thank you." Isn't and that the best feeling in the world? It's great, yeah. and and um, yes, and and then again in the US from day one, we've shipped to every major city and every major zip code, um, pretty much in, in the country, um, the, in the last twelve months. Um, and yeah, you get live feed. There's so many benefits to doing it. We've got right. database of people who have tried ugly. Um, and, and it's just, yeah, massively valuable alongside just getting the product out there. Yeah. Do you feel like there were things that you learned in the UK that you then applied to launching in the US? Or are there things that you wish you had learned earlier or, you know, things that you wish you had put in place earlier? You know, like for people that are listening, save them Ten thousand dollars. How would you save them ten thousand dollars? Yeah, I for mean, six months. I mean, there's life. a long, long list. Yeah. Um, I'd say, I'd say on the manufacturing front, because we've iterated over time, we now mm-hmm. have a product that tastes really good. But we definitely could have spent an extra bit of time on in the early days understanding that side of things. But then you can you always mean say making that. the product better from the beginning. Yeah, potentially. But again, you can always say That's that. Right. And at the time, we thought it was great. Yeah. And we're improving. And you can't look back and say you weren't improving it. No. I think the big thing we've learned is that. You need to work back from the consumer, but then if you're being really realistic, and again, people might argue with this advice, but yeah, I think you really need to understand the economics of the business you're trying to build. Of course. Um, I mean, that somehow or another, that got lost in the last couple of yeah. years. Like, it has to make sense. It has it's to not, make we'll sense. We'll figure it out. Yeah, right? and in this in this market, you yeah. have a different distribution model to the UK, so we have different margin uh, economics in both countries, yep. different channels. So you need to really think at the beginning, what channel do I want to sell this into? What are the right. margin expectations in that channel? And can I make this viable without losing right. loads of money? And I mean, I ask this question of, of most of my guests. When, when you say channels, Yeah, right? sorry, I'm no, no, talking I mean, ch- it, lingo. It, I mean, it's interesting because it is somewhat lingo-y, but also I think people define them a little differently. Mm-hmm. Like, are you talking the natural, the conventional? Is, do you consider online a channel? Do you consider, yeah. you know? So, yeah, I mean, it, it depends what your product is, but if you wanted right. to sell to a restaurant, the the economics will be different to Amazon, which will be different right. to direct-to-consumer. Right. Should be different to being up and down the street in New York. Right, um, like bodega style. Yeah, and I had no idea. I'm being honest, I had no idea about that at the beginning. Um, no one, I mean, no, none and, of us did. <laughs> and I just think even talking to somebody who understands that for half an hour will make you question your the validity of your idea or even, but that's not to say people can't break the rules. Right. Um, so, you know, there's a danger of me giving, you give advice and 
people can ignore advice. Yes. Some of the best entrepreneurs ignore everything. For and sure. And create change. But there's a principle in going, yes. does this make money or am I going right. to lose loads of money? If you lose right. loads of money... Well, I think, I mean, it's like what we always get to. You have to be prepared to lose money for a certain amount of time if you can show that it's going to at some point make money, Mm -hmm. not hopefully eventually we'll get bought and then it'll make money. And I think that was, that's the paradigm shift that I think founders are starting to, to hone in on a little more. There was, there was like a golden age where it really never needed to make money and it was fine because I don't know, somehow... Yeah, and it turned out okay. Yeah, um, and for every success story, there's probably a hundred businesses right. that didn't follow the principle. Yep, or weren't able to raise the money to do it. But um, yeah, I think you're spot on. It's there's probably a, re- a readdressment of um, right. that that kind of just basics of business. Right. I mean, if you run a, a run a shop on the corner of a well, street, right. you need to understand if you're making money to keep yeah. the lights on and keep everyone employed. And yeah, that's what business owners across both countries do every day. Yeah, there's no reason running a startup should ignore those principles, even though you might need slightly different growth right. growth ambitions. Yes. Um, especially if you want to hold on to the, your, your equity yeah. in the company. Well, this right? is it. I think yeah. why, why are you starting the company for yourself? Right. This becomes the question that the economics come back to. Right. Um, if you want to give away your company to get money, right. then that comes with consequences yes. as well. Um, which again, when I was 23, I didn't quite realize. No, I mean, I'm, I'm 47. <laughs> I'm still learning. It, <laughs> yeah, so it's not an age thing. Really. I think it's um, a bit of an experience thing. Okay. Team for the last yep. couple minutes. Um, I know you love your team. You talk about your team. Why mm-hmm. a, you know, anything you specifically look for something like you will not compromise on what you've learned through like good hiring and perhaps not great hiring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'd love you after answering all of those questions <laughs> to talk about how as co-CEOs, you kind of divide the the labor a little bit and did you know going in that you had very different skill sets and it was very obvious who was doing what or has that been like ongoing discussion i'll I'll answer that bit first and go the other way i can remember it um i'll remind you but yeah so joe and i started as co-ceos and i'm now ceo um of the business and joe runs the european bit and i think um that's worked really well for us to 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 shift it from having two people making decisions to one of us. Was um, that a challenging discussion to have? Or um, was it fairly... I think it was a natural evolution for the business. Right. And uh, there's a Tibetan word I've learned recently, which is car. And I don't know how it's spelled <laughs> or how you right. write it in Tibetan. So it's stro- hard to Google it. Um, <laughs> but it sounds like that. Yes. It's not C-A-R. Um, right. But the idea is that lots of people are empowered, but then one person holds the car, which is the decision making. Uh, and so I see it as my res- my responsibility is to say yes or no on something. Yeah. But that doesn't mean everyone's doing what I'm saying we're doing. Yeah. So Joe and I haven't actually disagreed on any major decision in the business. Yeah. So I like to think we're making the decisions together. Yeah. I just think it's much easier when someone's able to go yes, no, yeah. yes, no. The and, team needs a, and the a, team needed a, a singular voice. Yeah. And yeah. so it's helped us on the big stuff. Joe still makes the daily decisions in, in Europe and me and him chat daily. Right. Uh, he's still my best friend too. So, yeah. um, but that's, that's worked really well for us. And I think it's given the team a bit more direction on where some of the things are coming from, or at least right. even Joe, I'm sure it helps sometimes to go make a decision. And I go, cool, that's my job just to make the decision. Right. Which, and we might shift that in future. Who knows? But right, right now I hold the car. Um, right. <laughs> in terms of team. Yeah. Team's always been a big thing for us. I think working at Vitacoco, it was a real team effort. And yep. I think the reason we were successful in the European business at that time is because we were all worked together so well. So Joe and I left that team having worked on a good one you can spot some of the habits. And I think one thing that company does um, is hustle and work hard. Mm-hmm. And I think in, there's many things outside of our control in business. Um, the economy, political voting, climate, etc. Yeah. Um, even the market can shift. But one thing we can control is hard work and work yeah. ethic. So we always look for people with, with a good work ethic and who won't, who, I mean, when I turn to my left in the office and or turn to my right, you're seeing people who are putting in hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and I know that when some, if somebody joins the organization and doesn't, then I, and I don't make a decision on that, then I'm letting everybody else down. Absolutely. Um, so that's always been a, that's a very clear barometer in the office. And right. I think as the team gets bigger, it's just a good work ethic in there. And it's, we still have fun and you apply the same principles to having fun right. as well. Um, but that's, yeah, I don't know. I do like from. the sports team analogy because I think it is, yeah. you know, it's like 
everyone is everyone's working for a personal goal, but yep. they're also working for like a team goal. That's it, and yeah. we we have a strong mission, right? We want to create a lot of change, right. um, and yeah. So, so and then and then I think combine that work ethic with heart and the right morals and yeah. values, which um, kind of really govern how we do things and how people collaborate you end up with a team that likes working together mm-hmm. uh, where where there's no politics in ugly i can't really think of any um yeah. uh, and puts in 100 percent. and if everybody's doing that i can't i can't complain um yeah. we're doing everything we can what's the sports i don't like the sports now just too much <laughs> but leave everything out there yeah on that's the all field we can, yeah, on the cricket field yeah or, yeah cricket field, whatever <laughs> um yeah if we do that then and then we do everything we can, um, then, yeah, that's all you can do. Okay, Matt's giving me the signal. I have two last questions. Okay. One is, are you planning on innovating anytime soon? And if so, are you going to be putting fun things in there? Uh, yeah, so, so we see Ugly as a platform that can take on uh, lots of different drinks categories and carbonated drinks categories. We, cool. we tell the ugly truth about soda. So, uh, yeah, there will be other categories we play into. We still have a lot of work to do in the one we're playing in against soda. <laughs> right. Uh, it's yeah. a huge opportunity, but yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of Sky's bad limit. stuff out there yeah. that we can take on. Um, and then the last is if you had to choose sort of a best moment in the last five, four, three years, four years. I mean, when you launched in twenty, yeah, twenty sixteen, early, early twenty sixteen. So I mean, it's three and a half years. It's not that long, but is there an aha moment or like a oh my gosh, that person is drinking my soda or like, oh, it's on that shelf or we had our first sale. Like, yeah, I, I, there's, there's lots of them. I think, um, I think the, the best moments for me are whenever you just see someone randomly drinking it in the street. Yeah. I've seen it in New York. I've seen it in London. Catching people in those. Yeah. Or you see it yeah. in a, in a, a trash can. I'll translate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the best, that for me, yeah. just that shows someone parted with their hard earned money. Yeah. They chose it for whatever reason. There was yeah. no one there from Ugly going, try this. Yeah. Um, There's no mark. There's no advert for them to click on. Yeah. It just happened. Yeah. I think whenever Joe and I spot that, I know Joe's weirder than I am. He will cross the road and interview you. Oh, and take I a totally selfie with them. run over to people. I'm a bit, yeah. I try and leave people alone <laughs> because I. Um, but yeah, that that's all. That's I think the first time that happened for Joe, both Joe and I. That's I mean, it would always be the best moment because um, you double take. Yeah. And Joe and I are trained now to look. I mean, from working in beverage for so long, you always see what drinks are in. Yeah. the bins on the street yep. or in or in the store or in people's hands yeah. and when you spot the brand that you started and yeah. someone's picked it up I mean that's There's the best no better yeah and it, it would never get old so people can buy you in America yep. at uglydrinks.com uglydrinks.com wherever you are in the UK or US and yeah. are you in some stores in the US yet or yeah so so we're building out we're mainly available in New York right now right. Uh, we're available online everywhere and then we're launching other states and awesome. other key markets uh, cool. as we grow very yeah. cool There, it's really it's great and the can it. is really rad and we didn't even get to whole like the design of the can and another time <laughs> I Matt can you give me longer on these podcasts please anyway um speaking of matt thank you for being engineer extraordinaire as usual and um we'll be back with another episode of in the sauce next week next week is episode 50 woo woo thanks for listening in the sauce is powered by simplecast thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.